election security, the disruptions we should expect after the vote, and research reveals major flaws in smart locks. These stories and more in this week's ISMG's Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. In case you hadn't noticed, there's a rather significant US election coming up, and who better to discuss election cybersecurity in the final hours than FBI agent Elvis Chan, who has dedicated the past four years to ensure US election security. ISMG's senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field, got the opportunity to speak with Elvis on concerns about nation-state interference and disruptions to expect immediately after the vote. Elvis, when you and I spoke a couple of months back, you set my expectations then that just because we're having an election on November 3rd doesn't mean we're going to have results on November 3rd or 4th. So set our expectations. What should we expect to see post-election, not just in results, but in cyber activity as well? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I'm glad we're still talking about this again. So obviously everyone knows we're in COVID-19 or you and I would be sitting like about five feet from each other. Right, Tom? However, because of COVID-19, we are going to have unprecedented amounts of, of vote by mail, right? Absentee ballots, vote by mail ballots. So it's going to take a long time. I, I think it'll take a long time before all of the final results are certified by each state. You know, it can range from 20 to 30 days each state has to, to certify an election. So because of that, I do think there's going to be both misinformation and disinformation that's going to be out there. Right, and, and my focus is on foreign misinformation, foreign actors trying to sow doubt in our elections, right? So what I would ask people to do is the, the most accurate news you're gonna get is going to be from your county or state level election website. And so that is where the things are gonna happen, right? So the newspapers, you know, you'll hear them say, the AP is calling it for this candidate, or, you know, Bloomberg News is calling it for that candidate. What I would say is, at the end of the day, it doesn't count until it is certified by the state. And then, you know, at that point, we'll know, we'll have electors go to the Electoral College in December. So I, I'm fingers crossed that Thanksgiving is, is when we'll definitively know. That's what I hope. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Now, we rely on locks to, well, do just that, lock. However, research warns that a popular smart lock could have been easily opened by anyone. Could this major security flaw suggest bigger IoT problems? Here's ISMG's Jeremy Kirk, Managing Editor for Security and Technology, for more on the story. IoT door locks offer conveniences such as remotely letting someone in, monitoring access, and keyless entry. But while the devices are ultimately designed to keep people out, they may actually be the way in. A recent examination of a door lock called the UltraLock from a company called Utech provides a case in point. Craig Young is a principal security researcher with Tripwire. He found that Utech left a service exposed to the internet that could ultimately be leveraged to remotely open someone's door. Yeah, that was certainly a doozy. So. The long story short of it is that their infrastructure for managing the locks and the access to the locks didn't require usernames and passwords. So anybody could connect to it and start monitoring the activity of all of the locks 
and then actually start unlocking other people's doors. Utech left a server open to the internet that exposed an MQTT broker. MQTT is a lightweight publish-subscribe protocol used for IoT applications involving sensors. The broker mediates messages sent from devices such as sensors to an app that can issue commands to those sensors. The company has since fixed the problems that Young found. Young says the exposed MQTT data also contained personally identifiable information such as email addresses and IP addresses. The findings with Utech's door lock add to a crisis of confidence in some IoT products. Young says some vendors are making improvements, but whether IoT products are better overall isn't entirely clear. There are a variety of efforts underway to improve the basic security of IoT products, including certification and testing programs, labeling initiatives, and in some regions, legislation. Young says that to drive security improvements, vendors must understand that selling products with poor security won't have a good outcome. Here's Young again. At the end of the day, it, it has to be that it costs vendors money to release insecure stuff. That um, making mistakes in terms of security needs to be costly, either in terms of people aren't going to buy the products or there's going to be uh, monetary penalties levied against these firms. Young thinks regulation may be one of the better options and legislative efforts are taking shape. In the U.S., Oregon and California have passed IoT laws requiring basic security features and devices. In the U.K., legislation is also pending that would require devices to have unique passwords, companies to accept reports on security flaws, and also state how long they'll support a device with patches. Australia doesn't have a law, but has released a code of practice for manufacturers. Craig Young. This is an unpopular opinion, but I do think that we need to see more government regulations in terms of um, baseline standards for how uh, computer software is made and hardware products that have kinetic impacts, of course, as well. The legislation and voluntary codes of practice are important. Consumers are not going to have confidence in IoT if someone like Craig Young can open their door from afar. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Couric. And finally, the IRS Criminal Investigation Cybercrimes Unit is focusing efforts on preventing the use of cryptocurrency for financing terrorists and other money laundering activities. ISMG's Director of Banking and Payments, Nick Holland, recently spoke with agents Chris Chincheski and John Gibbert about their roles in recent cryptocurrency-related takedowns. Here is an excerpt from the interview where Nick asks the agents about their concerns for 2021 with regards to cryptocurrency-funded crimes. And it's not all negative. Agent John Gibbert is the first to respond. Uh, I would say my uh, biggest fear is people moving away from Bitcoin. I mean, I think we're starting to get a big handle on how to trace that uh, through the system. It's more readily accessible, more people are using it, but if people start using these privacy coins, um, there's gonna be a bigger hurdle to get to, to get to the same comfort level that we have with Bitcoin. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my biggest fears is people actually moving on to, to more complex uh, ways of moving money, more private ways. Chris, what about you, concerns going forward? Yeah, I don't know if there's so much a thing that keeps me up at night is that I do foresee some challenges, some of those being the wallets with like built-in swapping abilities, some of the mixing capabilities out there. And I understand the arguments of whether or not that's privacy or that money laundering. I've seen that kind of argument play out in real time with the Helix case that's working its way through the courts. So, but I will say I'm also an optimist in that, so being a part of the Welcome to Video Child Exploitation website uh, mm -hmm. investigation, also North Korea hacking, and then this terrorism case, 
is that I've reached out and worked with many different exchanges around the world. And, you know, it's very reassuring to see that these exchanges are very proactive when you contact them and let them know that these things are going on on their platforms. I think that they're the first to like kind of stand up and say, this is not the activity that we signed up to facilitate. And so there's a lot of self-policing. So that's very encouraging. And I think that when you see like the packs that were an exchange comes out and announces that this took place, the community, whether that's the private sector or just independent researchers really kind of grab hold of that information and try and work together to try and figure out what's happening. And I think that that's the most proactive kind of response to these things. Like, you know, the kind of the group think mentality of all these people working together. That's it from the ISNG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.